All right, while we're waiting on Jeff, let me ask this. So you guys have had, I guess, five lessons so far. I took this class about this time last year, and there were a couple things that just really kind of stood out to me. And so um, I'm asking you guys, through five lessons, is there anything that really just, just like, wow, that, that hit me, or that's a gold nugget that I'm just going to keep with me forever? Um, anything through the first five lessons that really jumped out at you? Yeah, excellent, excellent. We're uh, my wife and I are teaching a parenting class as well, and that comes up often. You know, I and even with our own kids, it's like, show me in the Bible where it says to apologize. It doesn't, right? So it's important to use scriptural uh, mandates and language, and so that's a that's a great one, a great one. And not only with children, but with with adults, right? Uh, to ask for forgiveness is very, very powerful. So excellent. Well, I jotted down a couple that that really stood out to me, and I'll share those. The first is, and I I don't know if you've gotten to this yet, or maybe it was part of the introductory lesson, is that conflict, every conflict is an opportunity, right? Let that sink in. I mean, it is an opportunity to glorify God and for us to be sanctified as well. Every con- And if you go into a conflict thinking, thank you, Lord, this is an opportunity. They're not fun all the time. I get that. But it's an opportunity to glorify you and for, for myself to grow. So that was a big one. And then I think we'll, we'll cover this today. I, I suspect Pastor Gabe has already covered it. But this idea of remembering who we are in Christ and that God forgave us. And so when you're looking at this other person who was made in the image of God, how can you not show those same attributes that God showed to you? And we're going to cover that today in, in great detail. So I want you to think about as we go through that. But that that really changed my perspective on, you know, that crazy driver in front of me. That was a person made in the image of God. And if I think about the patience that God showed me, why can I not show this person patience as well? So think about that. So for me, it was, again, you know, conflict, every conflict is an opportunity. And then remembering how God treated me and who I am in Christ, I need to show the same uh, type of characteristics. All right. So from the lessons you guys have had so far, um, Pastor Gabe has, has showed you how to think about conflict. You've addressed um, your own contributions to conflict, and now you know you're ready to to do that battle, right? To to engage in that conflict. There's some more things we need to address, though. So what I just talked about, in order to respond to conflict in a way that glorifies God, that's our ultimate goal. In every situation, is to glorify God. We must be the kind of person that glorifies God, right? So we're going to talk about those characteristics of what does that look like. How can we be a person that glorifies God? Colossians 3, 12-14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Similarly, in Ephesians 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so you see a lot of commonality with some of those words, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiving, love between those two verses. Where else do you see a lot of those uh, characteristics, if you will? Fruit of the Spirit, right? You see a lot of those same uh, similar attributes, and we'll go through that. Okay, so we're going to go through, though, those there are eight characteristics that we'll go through. Again, being the kind of person that glorifies God, being that peacemaker. However, to start with, and like I said earlier, it all starts with recognizing our identity in Christ. This is so, so important. It is the foundation. Notice how Paul began both passages I just read in Colossians 3. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Ephesians 4, therefore I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We have been set apart as believers in Christ, as children of Jesus Christ. 
Far too often, professing Christians have a works-righteous theology and identity. While they say they are saved by grace, they live and think as though they are saved by works. I, I don't know how many of you have experienced that. You know, when you first became a believer, just this overwhelming joy and thankfulness that, God, you saved me, right? But then, for whatever reason, we kind of slide into this mentality of starting to work through um, you know, trying to earn our salvation or earn goodness before the Lord, and then we're brought back. It just seems like a continuous cycle. But we have to remember, right, that, that God is the originator, the perfecter of our faith, and we are saved only because of what God did in our lives. So with that in mind, here's how the Spirit would have us think about ourselves. Again, this is so critical, and, and this we'll come back to this because this is some of the fill-in-the-blank that uh, I know is important for this class. But um, there's six R's. The first one, we have been rescued from Satan's kingdom, right? There's only two kingdoms. Remember, Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. And you can't be in both. You are in one or the other. And the remarkable, wonderful miracle of being in God's kingdom is you can never go back to this kingdom, right? But that's really critical to remember you are in God's kingdom. You have a new master. The second R, you have been redeemed from the penalty of sin because of the life and death of Jesus Christ. Not just the death, but the perfect life that he had here on this earth. So you've been rescued. You've been redeemed. The third R, we have been reconciled to God. Remember, because of Adam's fall, we were separated, totally separated from God the Father. In fact, in Isaiah, it talks about us being hostile to God. Romans, there is no one who does good, no one who is righteous. So in Christ, we are, we are reconciled back with Jesus Christ, with God our Father. That is just a glorious, glorious thought. So again, re rescued, redeemed, reconciled. The fourth R, we have been recreated in holiness. We are a new creature. We are a new creature in Jesus Christ. And that's hard sometimes when we think about our past, isn't it? Right? But we are a new creature. Fifth R, we have been reserved for heaven. Right? Christ has gone before us to prepare a way for us. That is hopefully a great, great encouragement. And then the sixth one, we have been recommissioned to serve with Christ. We have a new mission in life when you become a believer. No longer to serve self, right? You're not a slave to sin anymore. You have a new mission to serve Jesus Christ. So the reality is these are accomplished already. It's not something we earn. They are accomplished already and a part of our lives. These are what is true about us apart from anything we have done, are doing, or will do, right? This is all on God. We have no role in that. And these are true about us no matter what others have or can do to us. So it's not about your circumstances. It's not about that person that wronged you. That has nothing to do with these truths, these realities. These are so, so important Pastor Gabe has another class, um, I forget the title of it, but, but basically something about you know, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. And it's about these truths, and it's so, so important, right, to remember who we are, our, our identity in Christ. And these are yeah, true about us no matter what um, others have or can do to us. And it is out of these realities that the following qualities can be exhibited in our lives. Psalm 56, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Like I said, we need the gospel message each and every day. So specifically, we are to exhibit the following characteristics, not only because of what God has done for us, but because this is God, this is how God has treated us, right? I talked about that up front. We want to examine how God treated us so that we can treat others the same way. And those are the eight characteristics that we're going to go through. Okay? Now, as we go through this, um, I want you to be thinking about, you know, application to your own life, to your own scenarios, if you will. And it's easy to think of reconciliation with maybe uh, unbelievers, those outside the workplace. I, I believe the intention of this class is really reconciliation with brothers and sisters in Christ. But bring it even more personal. Bring it home, all right? 
your spouse, your children, children on children, right? Make it really personal and think about applying these truths each and every day in, in your home. It's hard, but this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where you can exercise and grow in these attributes. So the first one is compassion. According to one theological dictionary, compassion is a display of concern over another's misfortune. It is often translated mercy or pity. Now here's the key. Compassion is not just a feeling. It is a feeling that leads to action. Right? That's the key to all this. You've got to act on it. Matthew 9, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Nehemiah. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Matthew 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And Luke 15. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What is remarkable about the compassion of God is that the sad condition of mankind did not come about because of circumstances outside their control. Our sorry state is the direct result of our own sin and rebellion against God. And despite the severe personal offense we committed against him, God showed and continues to show compassion towards us. Now, at the each of end, uh, each of these characteristics is kind of a summary statement that is really should be a thought piece, kind of a challenge for us from an application standpoint. It says, therefore, we must show compassion toward others regardless of what they have done to us. If they have sinned against God infinitely more than they have sinned against us, and he can show compassion on them, how can we not do the same? Um, anyone want to share a personal experience from from a compassion standpoint, anything jump out at you? All right, so the first attribute is compassion. The second one is this idea of kindness. Kindness. Kindness is is one of the fruits of the Spirit, like we talked about earlier, right? It is uprightness in one's relations with others, the quality of being helpful or beneficial. Now, here's the key. Kindness is doing the right thing in the right way for the benefit of the other person, not the benefit of ourselves, the benefit of the other person. Luke 6, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Titus 3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. All three of these passages explicitly say that God's kindness was expressed to who? Sinful, evil, wicked sinners, just like ourselves. Scripture does say that God is kind to those who are kind, but his kindness is is displayed in all its glory towards those who don't deserve it. So here's kind of the summary statement again for kindness. To say that God is kind is to say God comes to those least deserving and meets their greatest need. If he has done that for us, should we not meet the needs of those around us, regardless of whether they deserve it? 
Again, any examples? And again, I want you to bring it home, personal application. Any any thoughts or examples of, of a situation in your life where you had to show kindness? And maybe you didn't feel like it. You know, sometimes people can, you know, come off unlovely, and we all can sometimes. And so sometimes, you know, just showing that grace and mercy mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to others, um, you know, when they least deserve us because, you know, God, you know, you know, put his compassion on us when we least deserved it, when we were yet sinners. And so, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. you know, following Christ. Yeah, amen, good. Um, I'll share just a personal experience with me, and it's about me. You know, there there have been times something maybe happens at work or whatever, and you just come home pretty ornery, right? Just not a kind person at all. And my precious wife... Um, I don't know how she does it, but shows me just great, great kindness. And she'll just very sweetly just give me space initially, but ultimately she'll, hey, what's what's going on? You know, instead of becoming defensive, thinking, hey, it's me that's that's causing him to get all fired up, has nothing to do with her, right? It was just a bad day at work. But because of her kindness, it just, it, it causes me to just decompress, start talking to her, and then you guys know life is good, right? But that's... <laughs> That's Kareem, um, just always showing a, a very gracious and sweet, kind spirit to me, especially during uh, those tough days. But that's that's just an example of how showing kindness can really diffuse a situation, right, before it becomes a conflict. Um, yes? The issue that I have is, um, you know, sometimes when I do show kindness, it's always people around me that always say, oh, you don't have to do that. Like little things mm. like... Um, we have like a snack cabinet at the office, mm-hmm. and you know if it's getting low, sometimes I'll go and buy things to put in the air, microwave popcorn. Sure. Try to buy something for those people that are doing keto and you know gluten-free items or whatever. Uh-huh. Just put it in the cabinet. So if somebody comes in one day, they get hungry, or if they only um, plan on staying a couple of hours and leaving at lunchtime, they can go in there and grab a snack. But there's someone at the office. And I hate to say it, but it's the HR person. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <It always laughs> says, Rightly from God's perspective, 
We are made in God's image and thus have inherent dignity and worth, but we are sinners and thus there is no place for pride or haughtiness. So it's this balance, isn't it? Constant balance of having a boldness because of who we are in Christ. The, those character, those R's that we talked about up front, that's who we are in Christ. And we should be bold in that, like Paul was, right? But at the same time, we still struggle with sin. And so there has to be humility about our, our attitude and our, our characteristics. James 4, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. First Peter, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. As we relate to others, humility means to think of others as more important than ourselves, regardless of the position we may hold relative to the other person. And this is where we see God exemplifying humility. All right, again, how about you know some personal application here, especially in the home? Where, where and how can we show humility? That's like a constant when you think about at home. So Gwen, that's a great example. She talked about um, relationship with the children and, and being in the home. So clearly you have a role as a parent. You have authority, um, clearly described in the Bible, and yet you know you're a sinner as well as your child. And, and having, not that you give up any of that authority, but you come at it with a sense of humility right? And, and think about applying these attributes to conflicts that we all have with our children at times, right? How would that um, change the situation if, if we were applying these types of characteristics and, and what can sometimes be heavy, heavy conflicts, right? So yeah, that's a great example. Our role as parent versus the child. What about husband and wife? Do we have distinct roles described by scripture? We absolutely do. You know, husbands as um, leaders in the home, we absolutely have to have a spirit of humility in dealing with our wives and our children, right? Anything else? Like being a servant leader. Mm -hmm. When you have a role of authority in a workplace or in ministry, that you're willing to do what you're asking everyone else to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great word to use, especially as a husband, right? A servant leader. Um, we, we often, I'll say I have often fallen short of, of fulfilling that, that role, if you will, as a servant leader. And it's, you know, but it's a sanctifying process. We go before the Lord, we ask for forgiveness, um, and he equips us by being in the word, renewing our mind. But that's a, that's a great term. Um, I was in the military for several years, and was in several command positions and this was a challenge sometimes because you have a clear distinct role as a commander and yet you have to have you know that spirit of a servant leadership if people are really going to follow you right so that's a great great term was there did you have another comment or you're going to add to that agreeing that yeah servant leadership absolutely how about um how about from the wives' perspective, if anyone wants to share, you know, to to fulfill that that God-given, I'll call it mandate to be submissive, that's not easy, is it? It's not easy at all. But but how is this spirit of humility um, help in your interaction, maybe with your husband, who who isn't maybe being a servant leader? You know, I, I'll take it back to you know, I come home and I'm ornery and and I'm not, I'm grumpy and I'm not in a good mood, you know. Kareen, my wife, again, could could react very differently to that because um, she's probably had a tough day, too, with seven kids. She's been towing around all day. But, um, again, showing a spirit of humility, being sensitive to that um, really helped, you know, kind of diffuse that situation, helped me to talk about it. And that's, um, you know, coming along beside me and helping me with that. The all-familiar passage, right, Philippians 2, when we focus on Jesus Christ in this idea of humility, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Boy, wouldn't that solve like 98% of our problems if we did that consistently, right? 
regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interests of others. And that's important to know. It's not saying you, you don't have to think about yourself. Of course we do, right? But to have this attitude of thinking more and more about the other person's interest, especially you know in the home, in a marriage, um, parent-child relationship, this becomes so critical. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what's important. Jesus did not humble himself because it was right, or because it was necessary, or because we deserved it, or for any other reason than he chose to exemplify his gracious character. What would have been right? Judgment wrath for all of us that's what would have been fair you know uh, if we talk about fairness and that's not in the bible either we all deserve the penalty of death it was necessary that he pour out his wrath on us why because he is holy 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 that's the god we serve and so thankful that characteristic doesn't change right his holiness but that's why he he deserves perfection we deserved infinite judgment but he chose to humble himself to reconcile us to himself. I love that word. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the R's. We have been, in our sinful nature, separated, separated from God the Father. I mean, no interaction when we are in that other kingdom. But to be in the kingdom of God, we are reconciled to a Father who loves you. And when he looks at you through his glasses, it's the righteousness of Christ that he sees you. Right? Let that be your encouragement. And again, the summary statement, this is the one that should hit, should hit home. Since Jesus has done that for you, is there any level that you are unwilling to stoop to for the sake of a person you're in conflict with, especially a wife or a husband or a child? Right? This idea of humility is so key. Okay. Any other comments on humility? All right. Gentleness. Ooh, this is a big one too. Gentleness can also be translated meekness. It is not the idea of weakness or frailty, right? Our, our society, our world loves to associate gentleness with being weak. So far from the truth. Gentleness in scripture is exhibited by those, this is, this is interesting, gentleness in scripture is exhibited by those with power, influence, and strength towards those who are weak, poor, and vulnerable. The focus of gentleness, meekness, is the attitude and manner in which we interact with others. Again, it really gets at the heart attitude. Again, another huge failure on my part, right? Growing up, young man, seven kids, um, and they were great, right? But they're kids. They're, they're little bundles of heathenness, right? But... How I respond is so important. And, and I'll tell you, early on, it wasn't always with gentleness, right? This whole attitude, this hard attitude of, of gentleness and, and abusing maybe, um, you know, my power or my authority as a dad. But gracious God, right, sanctified me over years and years. And I would love to think that this is an area that I have grown in is... Uh, my approach to to conflict or interaction in the home it starts with gentleness right and that is so so important especially you know dads fathers it is so key you set the tone in your home and and to start with gentle that doesn't mean you don't address the situation you don't discipline you don't do all the things you're supposed to do but to approach it with gentleness um, just changes everything you know many of my kids are older now and, and out of the house and it's just uh, it's been a really neat transition and you reach that stage where it's more of a friendship than a, a parent-child relationship but you know it, we we have that relationship now and they come back and they want that advice but you know, so often our conversations now, it does, it starts with just gentleness. Um, and it's a very pleasant, pleasant time. So an encouragement maybe to you that, that maybe have smaller kids or, or younger children, um, it can really be a sweet, sweet place when you get to that point of 
transition and they become friends and, and partners with you in life. Um, but that gentleness remains. Obviously, relationships between you know husband and wife, um, you know that interaction all day long. If you start those conversations with gentleness, it just changes everything. When God interacts with us, He is not harsh. So again, let's point back to how God treats us or responds to us. It's with gentleness. He is not harsh, mean, overbearing, crushing, or sharp. He is gentle. And, and I would say this, you know, back to those original R's, those, those six R's we talked about, we can often come from backgrounds where maybe we had an authoritative dad, right? A militaristic type dad. And and, and that's what we carry with us. And we bring that forward. It's important to reestablish that baseline. That's not the standard. Scripture is the standard. Those six R's that we talked about, that's the standard. And that's why it's so important to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day, to remind ourselves of how God treated us. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. I really like Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Throughout the Gospels, you see how Jesus interacted and responded to the disciples and the people that were lost. It was a very gentle, loving, you know, fatherly type of attitude. Now, he did come, out, come down hard on the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? He had to, because these were supposed to be the leaders, the religious leaders, right? So he had to be tough on them, but... Um, as you're going through the Gospels, you know, keep that in mind. How did he treat his own disciples that failed all the time? All the time, even up to the point of his death on the cross. We're still questioning, well, who's, can I sit on your right and your left? And, and who's the greatest among us, right? Um, he was still very, very gentle. And that's how we are to be, especially within the home. As those who've been gently ministered to by our Lord, we ought to be gentle in our interactions with those who are in conflict with us. We do this by handling them with care so as not to unnecessarily offend, harm, or discourage them. I go back to the example at work, the snack bar. Well, thanks, but why didn't you get me a gluten-free cracker? Right? It'd be easy to respond negatively and without gentleness because, hey, I'm doing you a favor. I don't have, right? I don't have to do this. But to say, hey, just let me know. Next time when I'm picking something up, I'll get you something. That's gentleness. And it, it goes back to the attitude and the manner, right? First Thessalonians, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing motherly tenderly cares for her own children. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Boy, isn't this a big one, Dad? Dads, a gentle answer, especially to our children, to our wives. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Galatians 6, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now let me ask you guys, can we do any of this of our own accord, our own strength? There is no way. You guys know our first reaction uh, when a conflict arises is to dig in. Those defenses go up. We can't do any of it outside of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word, to be renewing your mind and putting on these characteristics. And, and let me say this. It's also, I would say, a trained attribute. You know, all the things we're talking about, you learn those through practice. And that's why I say the home is your your proving ground, your practice ground. You can, you can practice these things and build them and be sanctified each and every day. It starts at home. Ephesians 4, 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So here's the question. In what ways do you personally struggle with gentleness in the midst of conflict? Identify those areas, seek forgiveness, and be intentional about reversing those habits. I, I really, really love that word, intentional, right? It, it's waking up and it's being very deliberate and intentional about being a gentle person. And, and I like this. I, you know, I underline it for yourself. Go home and meditate on it. Where are, you, where are you falling short? And if you are, go ask for forgiveness. Turn that tide. Make amends and be intentional about reversing those habits. All right, so that we've talked about the first four characteristics. Now we're going to go to the second four. Number five is patience. Another one of my strong suits. Not really. <laughs> but again, by, by God's grace, I, I would love to think that this is uh, something that has grown in my life. Seven kids will help you with uh, uh, maturing and patience, trust me. Patience is the prolonged restraint of anger. Romans 9, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Second Peter, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. God's patience toward us is seen in the fact that he does not rain down on us the just punishment of our sins the first time we sin, or the second time, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth, or the hundredth, or the thousandth. Isn't that a delightful thought? All right, what we deserve is the first time we sin, kaboom, right? We get the wrath, we die, but he doesn't do that. You know, I go back to the example of driving, um, I am not a road rage kind of guy, but in my mind, you know, hey, hey, speed up. Hey, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And, and it was this it was this class. I'll be honest with you, a reminder of that person in that car was made in the image of God. Different from any other creation that, that God did, you know, humans made in the image of God. And this idea of gentleness and patience and kindness Often, here's what I say, you know, I'm trying to get to work because I know I have an appointment. And, and I waited till the very last minute to leave the house. Guess why I'm late? It's my fault. It's not the guy in front of me who's, who's driving slow or driving the speed limit, I should say. Often I look down and I'm like, oh, he's driving the speed limit or she, right? So, and this is something I've, I've tried to pass on to uh, my son as the last one of seven. And uh, he just got his license and, and I can sense in him a little bit of, you know, the mind going, hey, speed up, or why aren't you doing this? And, and we've had some good talks about, Michael, it, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to get there on time. But again, I, I say that just to encourage you, just the little practical things in life, you know, you, you can demonstrate and practice these things. Unlike, unlike earthly judges who can only hand down punishment when we are caught and only after we've gone through time-consuming legal processes, God knows instantly when we sin, and knowing all the facts, there is no need to hold trial. Consider this. He would be right and just to immediately and without reservation allow us to experience his holy wrath the moment we sin the very first time. But he doesn't. He is patient. But we know that patience will not last forever, right? All right, if you have your Bible, let's open. we got some time. We can open up to uh, Matthew 18. Because the next two characteristics are going to reference uh, Matthew 18 and this idea of patience. Matthew 18, oops, verse 21. And this is a very, very familiar passage about forgiveness and patience, about king, the, the king and, and the slave and some debt that was owed. But it's a really important passage, and especially one you can uh, great discussions with your children. And again, this idea of patience. So let me start in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one of one who owed him 10,000 talents, and I think you've heard this in different sermons, I mean, it is a ton of money, ton of, like 10 million plus, right? It is a large, large sum of money. 10,000 talents was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Now here's, here's the key. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, this is what he asked for, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, a fraction, I mean a fraction of what the previous slave owed the king, right? Huge disparity. Uh, Let's see. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, same question, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But what was the response? But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Boy, you see the huge disparity, right? And the the parallel is that mountain of, of debt, that's what we have in our lives before Christ. Right? And and what did God do? He was patient and he forgave us. And then what do we turn around and do? Right? Somebody uh, puts the cup up versus down in the dishwasher and you go ballistic. (laughs) Right? That's not even a denarii. You see my point though, it's craziness. And that's why it's so important to revert back to what did the Lord do for me? Again, this was huge for me because... um, you know, going into our marriage, I've always been kind of a neat freak. I just, I, I have been. I like, I, I enter a room and I like things to be neat. That's the military. That is. It, maybe that's why I joined the military. I don't know. Um, and my wife, on the other hand, is a kind of a free-spirited woman. Uh, she adds color to our marriage, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, but she would love to have a closet that, Christopher, you don't even go in there. Right, you just open it and, and things go in there. Um, but over time, it just doesn't matter. I don't care anymore. Um, and over time, my wife has kind of come to the, you know, I'll, I'll call it more to the center. She likes to enter a room now and, and likes to have it neat as well. Now, don't open that that, you know, closet door underneath, which is okay. I'm okay with it. And I've kind of come over here and I've kind of come to the center where it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The fact I got another day with my wife. That's what matters. You know. Really, it just doesn't matter. So again, this is a wonderful passage we can use for our own lives as a reminder um, in discussions with our children to show them, uh, to, to preach the gospel to them, to encourage them. This is what God did for you, right? How are you going to respond to your brother that just stole your toy from you? Let's start with how did God treat your sin, All right? Bring them back to the beginning. Okay, aren't we prone to be like that wicked slave like we just talked about? Though we have been shown infinite patience, infinite patience, we can barely stand someone's offense for a minute. So how can you grow in patience? Again, it's training. It's it's making a choice to be patient. It doesn't come naturally, guys. And it absolutely requires the Holy Spirit. Okay, forbearance. This idea encompasses a number of words such as bearing with one another, putting up with others, enduring, and tolerating. There is significant overlap between forbearance and patience, but the difference can be summed up as patience being more related to short-term and changeable situations where forbearance is more related to long-term and fixed situations. So I like that distinction. Patience, short-term. Forbearance is more about a long-term or fixed situation. Matthew 17, And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring him here to me. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. We should not read sinful anger or frustration in Jesus' words. From the beginning to the end of his ministry, he knew the disciples lacked a faith, that they vacillated and were as easily swayed to believe as they were to question. We talked about that earlier. But Jesus graciously tolerated their weak faith. Um, again, I can see this application in raising children, right? When they're young, you're giving them commands, you're giving them instruction, and you got to do it again and again and again. But you understand their sinful nature. You know what's going on in their heart. They, they were not born um, spiritually alive. They're dead. They're dead to Christ. They are separated from the Father like we all were, right? So to forbear, especially with our children, just like Jesus did with us. Just like Jesus did with us. In the same way, we are to tolerate the idiosyncrasies that people have. Social awkwardness, mannerisms, learning challenges, preferences, again, cup up or down. Some people struggle to grasp biblical truth more than others. Some struggle to trust in the Lord when hard times hit. We should not get fed up with people in their weakness, but tolerate and bear with them and encourage them. Give them truth, truth in love. Again, Jesus wonderfully displaying forbearance. Okay, any comments, questions on that one or experiences, forbearance? Okay, we'll move on to a forgiving spirit. Paul's preferred word for forgiveness comes from the same root word as grace. and you, I won't even try to pronounce that. In the New Testament, it's the least common word for forgiveness. The most common being this Femi, I believe it is, which focuses on the releasing of the debt. Charizomai has more of a focus on the, uh, on the character person or the nature of the act of forgiveness, that it rises out of a gracious heart and is a gracious act. Again, it goes back to the heart attitude. That's what all these characteristics, the root of that is the heart attitude, the character of the person. Unlike what some claim, God didn't become a forgiving God in the New Testament. God has always been a forgiving God, even in the Old Testament. And you see the verses there, Exodus, Psalm, Isaiah. I, I love uh, Psalm 130. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Again, these were, these were prayers, these were exclamations made in the Old Testament. God has always been a forgiving God. So next week, well, maybe not, um, at some point, you guys will discuss forgiveness in greater detail. I believe it's uh, lesson eight, but you might revert back to six next week. I'll talk to, to Pastor Gabe about that. But um, let's go back to, let's see if it's here. Yeah, let's go back to uh, Matthew 18. And I won't read that whole story again, but let's look at verse 27. So this was the first part where it's the king and the slave. And the slave says, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And so how does he respond? And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So again, this very large debt, just like we have before the Lord, he forgave him. Now go to verse 30. And this was the second instance between the slave and the slave. So his fellow slave, I'm starting verse 29. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. The same question that this slave had to the king, right? How does he respond though? But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So this, this little sin, this little you know, conflict against him or wrong, he was unwilling to forgive and yet this mountain of sin that or debt that he had, the Lord, the king forgave him, right? Similar situations with us. But it comes with a warning, right? Go down to uh, verse 35. Well, let me keep going because I didn't finish the story. So verse 30, but he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, 
They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let that be a warning, an encouragement, right, to, to not get hung up, focus, respond immediately to that, that little sin that seems to just kind of gnaw at us, right, compared to the mountain of debt that we had before the Lord. Okay, good. <clears throat> For now, let us simply say that we should be willing to forgive in the same way and to the same extent that we have been forgiven, just like we talked about. Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Um, if you don't mind, I want to go back and, and remind me of your names back there, please. Sean and Nicole. Nicole. So, Nicole, you brought up this idea of apologize versus forgiveness. I'm not sure everyone was in the room, but can you... Oh, was it? I'm so sorry. Um, can you can you bring that up again and maybe let's pull that thread a little bit? Mm, yeah. Has anyone, I, I, I said, we teach a parenting class and this comes up too, this idea of apologize versus forgiveness. And I, I don't want to, you know, Pastor Gabe will go into much more detail about what does forgiveness means, but I'll, I'll just give you a little hint of what he's probably going to talk about. This idea of forgiveness means I'm not going to bring it up to you again. If I forgive somebody, I'm not going to bring that issue up again. I'm not going to tell other people about it. And there's a third piece that I forget. Bottom line is I'm not going to bring it up to you again, and I'm not going to tell other people about it. It doesn't mean you necessarily forget, all right? But but you're not holding it over someone's head anymore. It's gone, right? That's what forgiveness is. And, and like I said, Pastor Gabe will talk about that. But that that is very powerful versus apologize. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Right, it, it's very distinct. So, anybody—I don't know if anyone has had uh, issue or situation or example they want to share from, from maybe at home or kids or Jose. You were in our class. I don't know if you were there for that lesson, but we did talk a little bit about that. But yeah, my example would just be like from what she said, like seeing it played out in my children. When they do something, we always have them say, "I'm sorry," and the sibling is supposed to say, "I forgive you." But you can definitely hear in the tone. I'm sorry. Uh huh. They're not sorry. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Just teaching them the, so that they think later on, as they grow and actually do mean it. Oh, I should say, I'm sorry. But there's definitely a difference in no yeah. one is penetrating the heart when they're crying and they're like, I'm sorry. Uh huh. You can tell when it, yeah. it, it means something to them versus yeah. just, I'll say it, but I don't mean it. Yeah. That's a great example, and and I think. You know, like you highlight, it's something that has to be learned. You pattern that in the home, but but it's a very powerful difference between I'm sorry, I'm sorry you did that to me, or I'm sorry you were in the wrong place, or you know what I mean. It's a very different heart attitude to forgive somebody versus to just apologize. So, so I think it's important. Too. Yeah, um, I've had many arguments with my sister. So okay, I think it's important, and I, this is something I need to learn as well. When you apologize, say what you're apologizing. Because you're you're acknowledging what you did, right, and what you sinned against that other person. Yeah. You should go both ways. And so when you apologize, you say I forgive you, then it has more weight mm-hmm. because you know what you're forgiving somebody. Yeah. Right. And it's not just going off into the ether. That's a great point, Owen. Right. To be so, very specific, you bet. And just to piggyback off of that, also, um, it also communicates to the other person what you what you think your wrong was, and they mm-hmm. have the opportunity. To yeah. Well, I don't really take offense to that, but to this other item, that's something I've experienced a lot. Yeah. Again, sister. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> because it's just different communication styles. Yeah. So was, eh, that wasn't what I really had the issue with. Ah, okay. So what was the actual issue? Yeah. No, that's actually it's really it's a form of communication, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yes, ma'am. It's hard to say that uh, the Bible is the answer to all crises. 
and and so if we allow the Bible to be our friend and also to be the center of the house of mm -hmm. the home, mm -hmm. it will solve all these things. Amen. But because we don't do that, yeah. When we wake up, we are chasing, excuse me, to say money. Yeah. And then we leave the children aside. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's time for all of us to invite the Bible Amen. into our lives and also into the home. Yeah. Amen. I like the way you put that. Invite the Bible. Absolutely true, right? The Bible is the foundation. It's everything we need for life and salvation, right? In the Bible, right? Second Timothy. All right, last characteristic. We got about 10 minutes left, so we're, we're in good shape here, is love. Love is the commitment to use your energy, time, resources, and abilities for the benefit of another person. It is not primarily a feeling, though it involves feelings. We know that. It is not primarily romantic, though it can involve romance. Love is others-centered, not self-centered. And I would add it is unconditional, right? It is not based on circumstances. It is not based on how others respond. It is not conditional. It is unconditional. It is a choice. It is an action on our, in a heart attitude on our part. In our culture, love is more akin to, I love the way you make me feel, or I love that you love me as much as I love you. But when our feelings change or when the person stops loving us as much as we love ourselves, suddenly we have fallen out of love. You hear that all the time between couples, right? I just, I stop loving her. Man, that's a world standard right there. This love is self-centered. It's not the love of the Bible. John 3 for God, uh, you guys know this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then 1 John in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation, the, the substitute that took that wrath that we deserve. And again, you know, invite the Bible into your life, into your homes. It's about recognizing how God loved us first. We can only love because God loved us first. Love is the giving of oneself for the good of another not because they deserve it or have earned it. In God's case, he loved because it is his nature to love. In our case, we love because we have been loved infinitely by God. Loving one another is of such importance that John says in 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not uh, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. This is really important, guys. When we show, how do we show love to God? By loving others. That's what this is saying. By obeying God and his command is to love him and to love others. Right? And it starts in the home. It starts in those relationships closest to you. So really take that to heart the next time there's a conflict or you're getting riled up. How can you show love? Because God first showed us love. All right, we got a couple minutes. Let me jump because I want to make sure I leave a little bit of time for um, any comments or discussion. These are eight characteristic traits of a peacemaker. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiving spirit, and love. Some of these, as we mentioned earlier, are, are listed in Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But all of these are the character of God, which He produces in our life as we, streak, as we seek Him. So here's the question. Do you struggle in one, two, three, or all these characteristics Here's how you can grow, and it, it has, uh, you should have Colossians 1, 9 through 11 in your notes. I won't read that, but it gets back to, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about putting off the old nature, 
renewing our mind. And how do we do that? Inviting the Bible, Scripture into our lives. And we put on our new self. We put on these eight characteristics. It's something that has to be learned and practiced, just like, just like building muscles, right? The more you increase in the knowledge of God, again, being in the Word and spiritual wisdom and understanding, the Spirit will empower you to imitate God and bear this fruit in your life. I hope that's an encouragement for you all. Any comments, questions about anything we discussed? Yes. Uh, I was just going to say it's also helped me a lot to spend time with a spiritual mentor who has learned and grown in these great points more than I have. Yeah. Um, because it gives you a practical um, view of. Yeah. Well, like I just never had this growing up, or like how do I do this? Like I feel like I'm doing all the other things, and so sometimes God just puts people in your life to model that. Yeah. I don't know if you guys heard in the back, but she talked about uh, it's been so helpful working with, you know, I'll call it a spiritual mentor that has helped her uh, recognize and walk through some of these attributes. Someone who's been there, someone who's mature in the Lord. Um, So encourage everyone to have that spiritual mentor. You know, we're instructed, you know, the older women to instruct the younger women and and men discipling other men. All right. Glom on to that senior uh, mentor, if you will, that's walked the walk. So that's a great example. Great, great. But I think the intent is next week you'll cover uh, chapter six yeah, or lesson six. Yeah. yeah. And and so be prepared for that, and then you'll follow up with uh, lesson eight. So sorry about the mix-up, but this has been a fun lesson anyway. So, All right. Let me close in prayer.